0: The Class of 2001 was hailed with a storm of lighting of fury on their entrance and exit from West Point. Graduating 101 days before the tragedy of 9-11, the Class of 2001 served as junior military officers during the initial phases of the War on Terror and increasing positions of influence over the next 20 years. Bound together for four years in school and together in service to our nation and their communities, These are the stories of those graduates as we look through the gray.
1: On this episode of Through the Gray, we'll be speaking with Brian Shadlack. Brian wasn't accepted to West Point out of high school or after a year at the New Mexico Military Institute. Brian's intelligence and work ethic remained hidden behind his test-taking abilities After a year at NMMI and the United States Military Academy Preparatory School, his talents began to shine through. Brian graduated in the top third of his class and married a 2001 classmate. Brian would be tested again at Ranger School, the National Training Center, and while deployed with his spouse in Iraq and Afghanistan. This is his story. Through the Gray has a new sponsor, Whiskey Rustic Woodworking. Whiskey Rustic Woodworking is a veteran and first responder owned company that specializes in handmade, one-of-a-kind American flags. I served with Andy, spending many long days and nights together in the dust and the heat during two tours in Iraq. Whiskey Rustic Woodworking flags are crafted with pride and dedication, honoring all that the American flag stands for. Every flag is hand-stained, handcrafted, and all stars and insignia are etched for a rustic, one-of-a-kind look. Whether you're looking for a graduation or retirement gift for your favorite military or first responder or something meaningful for family or friends, Whiskey Rustic Woodworking is your answer. Check out Whiskey Rustic Woodworking on Squarespace, Etsy, Facebook, and Instagram to browse current flag designs and sizes. Mention this ad for 10% off your order and shipping is always free. Make a rustic American flag part of your gift giving this year. Welcome to Through the Gray. We're speaking with Brian Shedlock today. How you doing today, Brian? Doing well, thanks. So,
0: Brian, first question: Why West Point? Oh man, well, well, first, thanks for thanks for doing this. Um, I've never told my story like this before, and so interested to see how it, it turns out. But yeah, um, uh, why West Point is because um, I didn't get in initially. I was told no, and um, I think that <laughs> kind of lit a fire under me uh, in my back in my. I, I i guess in your teenage years, you kind of think it's gonna work out, and uh you get a letter an official sounding letter, and they say uh it is the judgment of of the admissions committee that you would not have a reasonable chance for success and um I think I read that, and you you get that burning sensation like what i'm not I'm not good enough, I'm not gonna succeed and um wow that um I think that created a sense of urgency now how did you react to that what was what actions did you take? Um, well, first of all, I crumbled it up, and I think I threw it. <laughs> um, and I'm not a really emotional person, but uh, that's what I did. And then you kind of sit and process it, and then it's all automatically the the gears start turning. And um, I think I think I just said like, okay, well, what's next? Um, let's let's work the problem. Uh, I contacted my uh, my liaison officer. I think during the process, everybody has like an advocate, a mentor, or at least you should anyway. <laughs> Um, somebody that helps coach you through the process. And I called him and what do I do? Um, okay, well, there are options. And we kind of explored some options. And one of the first things he said, well, have you, have you thought about New Mexico Military Institute? And I said, that's in Mexico? What? Why would I want to go to Mexico? <laughs> so he, goes, no, he said, the New Mexico Military Institute. And I said, where's that? Well, oh, it's in Roswell, New Mexico. And so, you know, then we started re- researching. We started trying to, to figure it out and what that would look like. Um, it's, it's try again. Um, and that's immediately kind of what I thought about. Um, and, uh, everywhere else that I applied, I didn't get in either. So (laughs) I was, I was looking for something to do. So
1: that first rejection you applied to uh, New Mexico military Institute, um, what was it like walking into there?
0: Um, well, I didn't know anything about it and, um, I played baseball and football in high school and, um, uh, they had a uh, a pretty good baseball program. And so my, my high school coach, Tommy Blair, actually um, reached out to their coach. And um, uh, that coach luckily knew of, of our high school and the program and what that coach has done in the past and its reputation, which I think helps. And um, I, I didn't even visit. Um, I was welcomed. I was told to come. and um, And then within, I think, two months, I applied and got accepted and off we go. And walking into there, to answer your question, um, I think I started like immediately, once I didn't get into West Point initially, um, I started like equivocating in my brain. I don't know if that's the right word, but um, I said, well, um, I don't know if I want to do the military uh, for for four whole years and then go into the Army. So this will be a trial. I can go and see what the atmosphere is like, see what the people are like, see if I enjoy being in uniform every day. And that's what I was told. And I was like, yeah, that sounds good. Um, I can do that. Right. And it it, would be a one year process. It's a two year junior college there. Um, But yeah, I mean, I I jumped into the, uh, they don't have a basic training like they do at West Point. It's like an, like a two week indoctrination program. And um, it was different. It was hard. Um, But I kind of, immediately started to enjoy the atmosphere. I enjoy the camaraderie, the esprit de corps. Um, I kind of enjoyed, I felt good wearing a uniform to class every day. Um, it, uh, it felt right.
1: And so that first year at, uh, New Mexico, did that strengthen your resolve to go to the military Academy or did you, you waver? Uh,
0: no, I don't think I wavered at all. I mean, I, um, just like a lot of people living, leaving home for the first time, I did get a little homesick. Um, I did uh, go through some tough times in the winter, Um, but as far as wanting to go to West Point, I think um, day after day um, and uh, talking with my baseball coach and the instructors and uh, some of the people that did have uh, a mindset where they wanted, they came from military families or they uh, wanted to pursue a career in the military. I I was around those people for the very first time. And I was like, "Yeah, this is what I want to do." And so it actually strengthened my resolve. And I met somebody there, just like all these really good institutions that you're surrounded by people that really care for you, right? And want you to see you do well. Your mentors—I I knew what it meant to have a mentor. And I would talk to him weekly. I would check in with him weekly. And um, every Friday after my last class, I would I would go in and and tell him how it went. And he he ne- he was always happy to see me. And it's just so cool to walk into a place um and people are g- like genuinely and authentically wanting to see you succeed and see how you're doing and so that's the first time I really experienced that um uh, on that level so uh, yeah it just strengthened my resolve and so you're you're coming in on your
1: the end of your first year
0: uh at New Mexico talk me through the reapplication um so starting the uh, reapplication process, the big issue that I had was my SAT score. I don't just, I don't take tests well. Um, and uh, I, I'm uh, always surprised on uh, how so many colleges can rely on that solely. But I understand it. I mean, it puts everybody in the same ballpark. It's a good comparison. But um, uh, going through the reapplication process, I knew my strength wasn't the SAT. It was just you know, just grunting it out and and really like studying and and hard work and grit. And that's what my strength was. And, um, but I knew that I had to get my score up. So that year, I think I took the SAT three times um, and didn't really do a whole lot better. It went up a little bit, but um, yeah, I I was still uh, not near the class average, what I ended up knowing it was after the fact, but I wasn't anywhere near the class average. And so, uh, but I had an advocate. Um, and, um, going through that, uh, that admissions process, um, I kind of thought I would get in. I thought the admissions committee would be like, Hey, Hey, it's one extra year. He decided to go and invest himself and get better. But yeah, um, in March and spring, I have it right here. March 5th, 1996. I got another, another, uh, denial. How did that, how did that
1: resonate? I mean, you just committed a year of your life, um, and it's your second rejection. You were having success at New Mexico, um, academically, yeah. academically.
0: You had a sponsor that believed in you. How did you take that? Um, actually, I guess from what I can remember, um, better than the first time. Um, uh, the first thing my advocate said, Lieutenant Colonel Bertle McGee, um, hey, Brian, I got, I got some feedback. You're not gonna get in, but you're gonna, you got accepted to the prep school. It was immediately uh, a positive. And I said, Well, what's the prep school? Because I didn't even know about the prep school. Um, so, well, the prep school pretty much—if you go and you are successful, you'll get in. Where's the prep school? In Fort Monmouth, New Jersey. And so immediately, I, mean, I don't think there even was a hesitation. I said, "Okay, well, let's figure that out." Um, so, yeah, so I guess that's what my reaction was. So
1: that transition from New Mexico to the prep school—you know, from one
0: military format to another military format—how'd that go? Um, I think it went pretty well. I wasn't too excited about having to go through another two-week indoctrination program. If you remember at the, uh, at the prep school, you don't go through a full-blown basic training. But um, now being uh, surrounded by people, a, a tremendous, tremendous amount of people that came from the regular army, um, some athletes that didn't get in initially, and then there were people like me um, that weren't in the regular army, that weren't recruited D1 athletes um, that get to go. And uh, maybe they had an issue with uh, test scores or grades or something, but they could potentially be a good candidate. So I was in that boat. Um, So, yeah, why not? Let's uh, let's go figure it out and meet another group of people, a small group of people. Right. I think that we started with about 200 or so. And so, um, uh, again, I enjoy I enjoy the enjoying the environment. And um, uh, away we go for year number two of of, uh, preparatory. Now, how did that differ? um, from
1: what you experienced
0: at New Mexico versus what you experienced at the press school? Um, well, I really enjoyed my baseball family at New Mexico. Um, working with a coach, a coach being there for me, he kind of helped me through some, uh, difficult times when, <laughs> when my, when my high school broke, uh, girlfriend broke up with me at New Mexico, which I think happens to a lot of people when they <laughs> leave sc- uh, for school for the first time. And so I, I had to go through that he helped me coach me through that. Um, and um i th- i guess there was no baseball team at the at the prep school and so um but there were other opportunities um uh, to be active and uh and 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 then the simplicity was um kind of refreshing there was only math and english and then some additional classes that helped prepare you for success and it was yeah it was just a time to get ahead i thought and i really enjoyed the instructors really top-notch people um i actually uh, uh, <laughs> through the PE class, the basketball coach was on the, uh, one of the PE instructors and we played basketball, pick up basketball a lot on PE. And he asked me to come out for the basketball team. And I did, and I was a kind of a scrub on the basketball team, but, uh, I made the basketball team playing with college type players. And that was, that was exciting. Even though I didn't get a lot of playing time, I enjoyed it.
1: So you, you make it through the prep school and you enter into,
0: uh, West
1: point in the summer of 97. Did the expectation of what you were walking into
0: um did it meet the expectation um so going to west point for the first time felt like a victory lap when when i finally got in getting there um i don't know if the right word is vindicated i felt vindicated like i had accomplished something already and i hadn't even started (laughs) um and so um I really enjoyed being around people and knowing a group of people when we got there. And I'm, I'm referring to the group of uh, classmates from the prep school. Um, I was an alpha company at the prep school. So you kind of knew those people, people. I think they kind of spread like intentionally spread us out throughout the core um, in our B squads. Um, and I really felt I, I was a little bit ahead of the game, helping people um, that were kind of uh, emotionally distraught um, when they were there um, trying to help them out with the small things, um, just develop some reputations with your classmates. And, um, I really enjoyed that aspect of really getting to know people and lift people up and to, and to help, and to help people out. After all the
1: academic preparation and the physical preparation,
0: when you got to West Point, what were the hardest things for you? Um, I think the, uh, the class load was a lot different than it was at the prep school. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, I'll never forget, um, I think we all had, I, I don't even know the purpose or I can't even remember a lot of the details, but um, we took this class, this math class called uh, DDS, Discrete Dynamical Systems. And one of the first quizzes we had, um, I didn't even know we were having it, it's like a pop quiz. There's pop quizzes all the time. I guess I I'm, i don't understand why West Point likes pop quizzes. But um, so you got to prepare, right? And even though you may not know, you have to prepare, but you prepare. I didn't. And oh, man, I didn't I think I got my name right on that quiz. And that's about it. Um, and when we got it back the next day, because they grade everything really quickly, um, he, Lieutenant Colonel Jardine, I remember now, I can still remember, he popped it on my desk and he goes, ooh, ouch, it got like, <laughs> a 10, like a 10 per, 10% or something like that. And so, yeah, so I started off that class with a, like a failing grade. And I'm like, oh, boy, here we go. Um, but just just like anything else. I mean, it's the, okay. Well, what's next? All right, I got to be prepared. I got to, I got to figure it out. I got to reassess. I got to know, even if I don't have to prepare, I got to, I got to make time for it. And so you, you begin to self-adjust to the uh, different environment.
1: Now is, is the, that process of self-adjusting and, um, being humbled and then adjusting and being humbled again? When did you feel like you were, you were starting to
0: be on the front of that bow wave to start having success? Um, I guess from a big picture perspective, when, um, uh, the first quarter passes, you get your first set, set of grades and you see, okay. Oh, all right. Um, uh, I got some B's. I got, Oh, I got a good grade on this test and things just start to compile. I mean, I think you talk to a lot of our classmates or a lot of folks and like the days drag on, but the weeks fly by. Right. And so getting in a, in a routine, getting in a study routine and, uh, understanding the process and, uh, uh, j- really just knowing how to prepare, um, understanding how the tests are written, and then you can look at previous exams that other classmates had to help you prepare for those. And um, uh, again, I'm, I'm not the smartest uh, knife uh, in the, or the sharpest <laughs> knife in the drawer, but, um, but, I, but I just learned how to prepare, right? And I would just grit myself through these things, and sometimes it would take uh, somebody like an hour to study for something, and it would take me two. And so I, I had to adjust for that. And thank goodness I had some classmates, especially that were that really smart, uh, would take care of their stuff and then be available to help me. I had a, a roommate, um, Kevin Arnett, smart guy. And uh, man, was I, uh, I, I, somebody was looking out for me when he, they paired us up because no matter what he was doing, no matter where he was at, no matter how, how tired he was, I would ask for help. And he said, hey hey, yeah, man, no problem. I'll help you out. And he didn't even act annoyed, ever. And I was so grateful for that. And um, <clears throat> that was the cool thing, is that people were like that everywhere, always wanting to help. I can't even remember one time, like a classmate was, was like, uh, just annoying or, or bullied or some things that my high school kids are going through right now. And man, I'm thinking, man, if you can make it to, through today's high school in a public school, I mean, West Point would be a breeze. But, uh, but yeah, other than, other than the upperclassmen trying to discipline a plebe or something like that i mean it it it, um it was refreshing having people around that really cared for your success and so you didn't take the easy route when
1: you talk about degrees civil engineering and the math involved with that
0: um you didn't choose an easy major like basket weaving um and so so i knew i was gonna so coming if i if i went if i got into west point right out of high school i would I would probably have been way behind. Um, I'm just trying to be honest with myself. Um, and so those two extra years, I guess, really gave me the confidence to 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 know that I could do a, a, diff, a more difficult major. But, I mean, I tried to figure it out. Um, I initially signed up for another major, mechanical engineering, and then I switched because I talked to some mentors in in the civil department of, like, well, this is what it's going to be like. This is what you can do after you graduate. And I, I had those mentors that really convinced me, like, to go civil and, and you know, and I, I like civil engineering because almost everything equals zero in mechanical engineering. I mean, things did not equal zero and it was discrete and dynamical and I said, like, oh, that's hard. So I did get a little intimidated by that, but um, I enjoyed soils. I enjoyed uh, structures and uh, designing those type of things that just really interest me. And so, so, so yeah, I mean, uh, I liked it and I, w- and I was told that hey, if you pick something you like and you love, you will do better. And so it being difficult or having the reputation of being difficult didn't really bother me.
1: Talk me through that last year and preparation to become a a military
0: officer. Um, so, uh, when I did get to West Point, I did walk on to, to the baseball team. Um, and I enjoyed that atmosphere. Um, I got to play on the JV and then my senior year, since I started at New Mexico, I mean, the NCAA rules, you have five years to play four. um, uh, I did I, I I wasn't eligible to even try to be on the varsity team that that year but um but I did I coached I coached the uh I coached the JV um with another classmate um Seth Bodner cuz he he had uh he was a real good athlete great student good friend and he broke his hand and uh he couldn't play so we we coached the JV together and we had we had a ball and um got to then I, I I guess that last year at West Point I really got in this mindset like wow I want to I want to help some of the underclassmen and inspire them. Like I was inspired by other upperclassmen. So it was our turn now to help serve others. And that's, I guess the first year that I really began to like internalize and even what it felt like to serve something other than yourself, to be more concerned for others, um, than yourself. I really, I guess really began to not, okay. So you know it, you read about it and this is how you're successful, but I really begin to feel it, I think. And, um, uh that last year I uh uh I met a girl <laughs> um a classmate and um yeah you know no doubt about it I I fell, fell in love head over heels and um really had a partner that last year too and we started planning what our life would be like after uh after graduation and at um in, in the army and after West Point and so um yeah, it was kind of interesting. I mean, you really begin to figure out what your life's gonna be like and not being a student anymore.
1: So talk me through branch selection and then graduation.
0: Um yeah, just like just like um a lot of issues that you may or may not have at the academy, there's always somebody around to help. Um and that's a big decision um to to, to select something um that you're gonna be doing maybe for the rest of your career. Um, and being a civil major, there were a lot of engineer officers officers in the civil de- civil department and um, just like Lieutenant Colonel Burl McGee was at New Mexico, I had another mentor major uh, Regan Mcdonald um, he was my uh, i guess hydrology teacher um, and he was just another one of those um, those leaders that no matter what time it is or if you need help or when you need help uh, hey, sir, I'm really struggling with this. Can I, can I come in? He said, absolutely. I'll be available in 20 minutes. And you go, and he's like, um, the first thing he wants to talk about is how you're doing instead of, okay, well, let's just figure out what you have a problem with, right? He would, he, again, he was like, we he, would be one of these leaders that'd be generally happy to see me, and he would just organically weave in, okay, like, hey, what, what do you plan on branching? It's like, I don't know. I started thinking aviation initially, um, and I started going through the process, and that's what I was set on for several months. Um, until he really convinced me what it would actually be like to be in the engineer unit. And I was like, yeah, I want to do that. And so I did. I I selected uh, uh, engineers, and uh, so did Kristen. And then uh, we went through branch selection, and Hawaii wasn't an option. And so we ended up uh, uh, getting assigned to Fort Stewart, Georgia, with the the 3rd Infantry Division. Um, Yeah, and away we go.
1: So you graduate, you go to the Engineer Officer Basic Course, uh, and then you post to Fort Stewart and Third ID. After nine eleven, what was that like walking into um, really the the
0: heavy arm of the Eighteenth Airborne Corps? Um, yeah, and I, th- I think uh, before we can even start about that, we have to talk about nine eleven and how that changed everything. Uh, I still remember being at the Officer Basic Course. I have pictures of it, watching um, the towers fall at the engineer officer basic course, and um, my family starts calling me, and, Where well, are you guys going to leave? It's like, no, we're at, a, we're at a school, we can't leave. We're not, we're not ready yet. Um, so, uh, so yeah, um, right after the engineer officer basic course um, in Fort Leonardwood, Wood, Missouri, um, I, go to, I go to ranger school, end up being in the same squad as uh, some of my classmates. Um, man, and really struggled uh, there, not physically, but just mentally. Um, and then got through the first phase okay barely um, and then they, in the second about halfway through the second phase in the mountains um, I, uh, I hurt my knee and had to then go join my unit because my I, I just couldn't walk and so um, go uh, so I joined Kristen was by herself kind of struggling being away from home not having me around at Fort Stewart because she goes straight there off after the officer basic course and um, which is in Georgia so luckily I can just drive all the way across the state of Georgia. And then, um, yeah. And then, uh, it, it, I kind of struggled at first because always being, uh, I guess physically able to lead and physically able to do things. I got there and, and it was like about two weeks before I could even run, um, two and a half weeks. Um, but, uh, I got better. And then, yeah, I mean, it's nine eleven. uh, we are at Fort Stewart for a couple of weeks. And then our unit gets deployed to the national training center in California. Um, and, uh, Meeting meeting your platoon sergeant, starting to starting to lead and do all these things you talk about at West Point, we're doing it right. And so again, having a, having a good first sergeant, that was very competent. Um, understanding how to communicate and work with a green second lieutenant was very helpful. And um, uh, yeah, we go we go to NTC, and then we're barely at home. Right? Kristen and I barely see each other um, because we're on separate brigades. We're in set a separate. separate training cycles so man for the first five years of our marriage we we didn't see each other very much just to roll back why do you think you stumbled at ranger school um like oh, oh just um
1: why Why was it well the sleep it was yeah go ahead uh, yeah why was it different i mean you'd physically challenged yourself before there was a lot of mental challenges that you saw at west point
0: what was unique about uh that ranger that was different um well i i guess if i'm being honest with myself uh uh, I wasn't mentally in it. Um, I knew that our unit was going to be deploying soon. I kind of thought that I should be with my unit, even though I was told, "No, you just worry about this. You just, you just fix this." And then, uh, and then I just, I was distracted. And we were walking, and I fell in a hole and um, uh, sprained my knee. It was a knee that I had surgery on prior. I had a surgery at the prep school. I had a meniscus tear, and I thought that's what happened. It had happened again, and it, it was just, it just wove to the fact that I uh, they, they kept me there for about three days just to see if it would get better, but it started to bruise and get worse. So I had to go get an MRI and, uh, they, they sent me back to Fort Stewart to do that. And they said, if it gets better, you can come back, uh, next training cycle. But, but by the time that opportunity was there, the unit was going to NTC. So we had, we had to go.
1: How did that so I didn't get
0: an opportunity to go back right away?
1: How did that impact you? Did you ever did it? Was it a chip on your shoulder that you wish that you would have graduated or was it that was that was a opportunity but what I really want to do is
0: lead my platoon. Um I, I guess I was kinda of torn. This is the first time I started something and didn't finish it. And I, I felt like I, I failed. Um and it and it did have some uh regret associated with it I think. because um, I never i would I would have stayed because with my mentality, no matter what was going on, even if I recycled in phases uh I think I'm so so I guess um, gritty and stubborn about not finishing something. I would have been there for a year or six months, however long they would have just le- left me there. But um, but yeah, I, uh, there was uh, knowing that I could potentially miss a deployment also ate at me. And so if I knew if I didn't go to NTC with my platoon um, and I knew we were going to get deployed right after that because it was already on the schedule we were going to Kuwait um, within like six months of us coming back from And the National Training Center, I knew I was going to miss all that and and then be behind in terms of having the ability to have a platoon. And so, yeah, I mean, that that was some decisions I had to make.
1: Talk me through the deployment to Kuwait and the ramp up uh, to Operation Iraqi Freedom.
0: Yeah. I mean, you're out leading a small unit now um, at NTC um, training with equipment, getting to know your folks and just really wanting the group to succeed. Um, uh, establishing a relationship with the uh, company commander, which I had a, 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 other, a great company commander, a good first sergeant and a good platoon. I mean, just a good people again, right? And so you're doing these things that you've trained all these years to do. And so you're doing it and then you come back and there's a couple, couple months we get to kind of refit. And then, yeah, the whole task force, because uh, we don't go with our engineer battalion. We go with our armor task force. So, task force 164, desert rogues. Um, so, we, we are away from our company and away from our battalion. <laughs> and uh, we, we deploy with these armor guys and uh, an infantry company and uh, in the desert. And other than just missing my wife and missing out on uh, uh, continuing our, our marriage together, I mean, you're, you're, you're in the desert. And knowing what's happening politically, um, you kind of think it's going to get resolved, but, uh, we watched that whole build-up all around us, um, when we were in operation desert spring and then, yeah, March 2023, I think it was, um, I wake up one morning, we're on the border of Kuwait in our tactical assembly areas. And, um, yeah, I'll never forget it. The image of, uh, seeing what looked like telephone poles flying 100 feet above our heads going North. Um, And then you, it's kind of, it's kind of eerie, but you hear these roars and people cheering and because they knew that the invasion had started, um, and it wasn't going to be a 20 to 30 year, I mean, excuse me, a 20 to 30 day air campaign. We were supposed to go right when the air bombardment started. Um, and, uh, yeah, so both excitement and fear, I guess is the best way to put it.
1: That ground invasion, that ground movement.
0: What was that like for you? Um hard, um, not a lot of sleep. Um, We take turns. And I guess looking back on it now, it's um, it's the longest and fastest mechanized um, attack uh, in the history of warfare. We got up to Baghdad within uh, a week and a half, I think it was. I don't know the exact time. Um, But there were skirmishes all the way up. Um, I'll never forget um, this one time we were south of Baghdad and we were supposed to go clear some mines and we did, but it was a sandstorm. It it was orange. I don't know if you've seen pictures or or, or done that, but I mean, it felt like we were on another planet. Um, And, uh, but yeah, from a day-to-day perspective, I mean, you felt confident because you're in these armored vehicles and you just stayed busy all the time. And so mentally it was, um, it, it was like, being in a, in it, like, I'm going to compare it, and I know this is a, in, a great comparison, but from a mental perspective and from a bodily function perspective, it's like in, you're in a, in a game this entire time, and you're not scared, you're not um, worried, uh, because you're all, always doing something, um, and, uh, and, and you're doing what you're trained with the people that you trained with, so moving and, and forward.
1: Just to peel that back a little bit, I, I think it's hard for some people to understand they're not necessarily in the military you've been training up to this point, almost eight years since 1996, um, at the prep school. And even before that at New Mexico to be prepared to lead and go to war. And like you said, you've been practicing, 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 and you're now in the game. When did you feel your first tang of of fear when it went from excitement to man, I don't want to screw this up.
0: Um, I think, um, when you're when you're stationary you when you have time to think it gets worrisome and anxiety starts to set in but when you're always on the move it was it was it was fine um as now that i'm thinking back on it um and i haven't really explored it like this ever before so this is so i'm kind of exploring new territory in my brain a little bit in and looking back at this but um um but when i prepared myself mentally and i knew there was that combat combat would potentially be inevitable because our company commander would just prepare us every single day we are going we are going and you guys better get prepared and so we did and so i mentally i started like preparing my family and i and, and i was actually told that it might it might be a good mental exercise to kind of write a letter right and to write your like how you feel and okay i actually wrote a letter and i still haven't i haven't read it yet um again but i wrote this letter like i was um like i might not come back and so excuse me when i write this letter yeah just it was kind of freeing because i was now able to focus on others again when i just kind of resolved myself to the fact that i may not come back and then so so the decision's made and if i don't come back i'm fine because i I wrote it down (laughs) it's i put it in an envelope i sent it to somebody i trust and i I said, just don't open this, please, until I get back. Um, but I did. I sent it and I wrote it like I wasn't coming back and gave and, uh, said something to Kristen, said something to my family and gave, gave some uh, instructions to people of what I wanted my funeral to be like. And, but, but, the, but the action of actually doing that gave me the ability to now focus um, and not be filled with anxiety all the time. Um, but um, but yeah, once we were physically moving and on the move, it 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 felt just like uh, another game, another training exercise.
1: Baghdad is taken, and, and Third ID kind of transitions from the ground war to more of a peacekeeping, uh, stability operation. Yeah, what was that like for you to to go from that very kinetic uh, initial beginning um, to a little bit more static and a little bit slower pace?
0: Yeah, it was. Um... Uh, we didn't know it was going to happen that fast, um, but there was an opportunity, and we were in a situation where our uh, small unit commander at the brigade level decided that uh, the uh, that the momentum was right, and so we he felt that if we got to Baghdad into the center square where you see the cross sabers and the pictures all the time, if we got there and we stayed the night, it would be over. And the night that night before, we uh, I I, I actually physically did an operation that every engineer officer and every engineer platoon would want to do. We did a covert breach forward of the flock, forward of the forward line of troops. Um, and oh, my gosh, it was it was actually successful. We went forward with uh, just one platoon and some scouts. Scouts are um, uh, some infantry and armored officers in Humvees and uh, and soldiers in Humvees that like just look out. Um, to get, try to give us first warning, to get in position, to give us first warning and overwatch us, and then we had a uh, uh, we had an in, uh, infantry platoon there for us for support. And we actually went out on the road and and our platoon, our soldiers, and physically removed these mines by hand, four hundred and fifty of them. And we made a lane in the uh, in in the highway so that the whole division could then that morning drive into Baghdad. And then, yeah, and then w- that happened that morning. Um, we got it marked with cones, slightly different than they say in the, uh, in, in the, in the SOP, the, in the manual, because we had to, we had to improvise a little bit. And, um, yeah, they were there. And then we went into Baghdad. We stayed the night. It was a little bit messy, but it was over, so to speak. But that's when, so to answer your question, that transition, that's when the hard part began, I believe. Uh transitioning to a stabilization and a peacekeeping mission, we were not prepared, in my opinion. And that was when it really got hard. So just, just to, to to roll that
1: back just a hair, there was two thunder runs. The first one went to Baghdad International Airport. So you're coming from the south, you're going up the main supply route and hanging left towards Baghdad International Airport. And then the second run was that run towards the green zone, uh, as it was called, which is this, the, the, the capital... Um, of the government and that, that right turn, the left turn, the intensity of those two fights, um, was not the same as the intensity later on. Um, because a lot of that was dismounted. A lot of it was, uh, individual soldiers, but in, in, in mass formations, um, moving towards, uh, the U S formations, it was very intense, uh, and very close and very personal.
0: What was that like for you? Um, the, uh, the first Thunder run we actually went south, um, and there wasn 't a lot of resistance on that one i mean there there were vehicles destroyed, um, but it wasn 't as intense and when we went north. Um, I was on that first one when we went south um, when our task force went on uh, the one we carved out a section uh, on that highway, we went from the southern part of Baghdad all the way to the airport um, yeah, we we were we were guard, uh, my platoon was ordered to guard the talk down uh, in, in the objective. So, I, I, and our kind of our soldiers were kind of mad we didn't get to go on that first one. Um, but we felt vindicated uh, when we got to go on that mission that night, that covert breach that night. And then um, when the unit went into when the division went into Baghdad, we had to then still guard our lane, our our that we made. Um, and uh, we stayed behind without a lot of protection, honestly. And that was kind of worrisome because you'd rather be with the, <laughs> the main effort because it's safer uh, in and around all of the, the armored vehicles. I mean, it, it, there's nothing feeling better than having Bradleys and tanks around you instead of being in these flimsy M113s. And so we are by ourselves at that point of breach, and we had to destroy it. We had to, like, gather up all the mines, put them in 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 piles and we had to destroy them and so we we were back there doing that doing that all day um while the entire brigade and then eventually the division went into um into baghdad and um yeah i mean and, it, and that's the way it was too because that that day and man i mean sometimes you're just always in the wrong place at the wrong time or the but our talk our tactical operations center um where the not the brigade commander was, but what the XO was, it, it uh, got hit with a missile. Um, the rear is kind of the most vulnerable, and it proved that. And I had just left there. I was like, holy smokes. And um, West Point graduate, um, really good friend of mine in the S3 shop, it, he, did, he, had to, he got significantly injured. And so, I mean, all that's happening now. Um, and, yeah, it's a little bit difficult to
1: process. What was the remainder of your deployment? Uh, Third ID gets extended, um, for almost 12 months and then redeploys. What was the remainder of that,
0: that stability like for you? Um, the uncertainty was the most difficult part. Um, like I had alluded to earlier, when you're on the move and you're moving and things are happening, um, uh, and you having a lot of interaction with others and there's a constant vigilance, I mean, it was better than the uncertainty, um, we were, t- we, were, we were in Baghdad for a long time. Then we were told to go to Fallujah um, because there's other people that took our place in Baghdad. And so we went out to Fallujah and started handing out frozen chickens. We were wanting to win the uh, hearts and minds of the people. And you, I, it's kind of weird, but I really like want, like felt like, okay, we can win the hearts and minds. Uh, I just tell people we're there to help and do all these things. It, it would get better, but we would go on these small missions co- co- collecting ammo, destroying ammo, and um, passing out frozen chickens. I mean, a lot of the nastiness hadn't happened in, ba- in Fallujah yet. Um, that ha- would happen later on, um, several years later. Um, but um, but that was our, uh, uh, Fallujah's initial experience to uh, American soldiers was when we were there. Um, but uh, the uncertainty was hard. And we, we were told, okay, once we get to Baghdad, we would go home. That didn't happen. We were told, okay, well, just a couple months in Fallujah, we would go home we, and just never came. It was like months. And that was the hard part. That's when we started having issues with our uh, with our soldiers, and the uh, just the morale would go down a little bit because it was there was no end. There was no we we never knew what the end was at that point. What was it like being
1: deployed simultaneous to Kristen, but she was in a different location in a different brigade? Oh my
0: gosh, it's um, a good question. It was hard. Um, she was a different brigade there at the same time. I actually at one point on during the advance got a, and and sometimes you never really pay attention to it, but the initial information that comes over the brigade intelligence net sometimes we wasn't very reliable at all. And so you would kind of hear the initial information and then you say, okay, let's just wait because it's probably not true. (laughs) Um, But we were told one time that first brigade um, was hit with a chemical attack. That was the initial report. And I'm like, Oh boy, here we go. Um, it sucked. Um, having that uncertainty but I kind of knew well that's probably wrong because everything else has been wrong <laughs> and luckily it was luckily it was wrong um, but I also later knew that um you know her her movement up was difficult she rolled over in her humvee there's another vehicle that had to come and uh and and, and tip them back over oh my gosh and so she was in a hard top humvee driving um, I felt safe being in a one, one, three, but she was in a light skinned vehicle, so to speak. But man, if, if that was a, didn't have a hard top on it, that she would have been probably would have been crushed. And so, man, we'll be fortunate to have good equipment. Um, but, uh, but yeah, not having, again, the uncertainty, um, the uncertainty was the worst. It, it's that one thing at
1: West Point and in your early officer career is, is, is this idea of risk and mitigating risk. And possibly having some limited control over your environment and it was like trying to control sand slipping through your fingers no matter how hard you you planned no matter how hard you rehearsed and you trained um that uncertainty and that
0: lack of control was very very frustrating yes um no i i agree with you um it is um and but I, but now that you say that i'm thinking like back to our some of our training we would always talk about the uncontrollables and mitigating and contingency plans right because once you have a plan we kind of knew okay we have a base plan and and nothing ever went to the initial plan there was all we we would we operated on fragmentary orders almost the entire time but having a base plan that was your starting point and having contingency plans became the controllable um, that we would know how to react and problem solve. And that's the way we are trained, the way we are trained, because you always had to improvise. Um, I mean, who could train for um, a small unit getting just through a major combat movement and then being told to um, corral animals in the zoo? And then you're responsible for guarding the zoo from looters and securing the zoo oh, by the way, there's a veterinarian that comes up that wants to help the animals. Um, there's, somebody, there's some civilians coming and patrolling, and um, this guy's from South Africa, Anthony Lawrence, and he wants to come and, uh, and help the animals. And so my job for a couple of weeks was to um, be his escort to get the animals cared for in, in the zoo, re- help rebuild some of the cages that were destroyed, get lions back into their cages, I mean, this was all documented in a book, too, um, which was which was after the fact. I mean, we didn't know it at the time, but uh, he wrote a book about his experience that that South African veteran um, uh, wildlife uh, entrepreneur. I mean, he just loved animals and he decided to come and do that. So my job. So you don't train for that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Coming back from that first deployment, um, where was your head at and what, what, what was going to happen next?
0: Oh, man, I, I it was a little bit of relief, honestly. I felt so good coming back. Kristen's brigade came back before ours. Um uh just the way the the numbers fell, I guess. Um and she she kind of struggled being home without me for a couple months. Um and then getting back was uh just oh, full of mixed emotions, right? Um and uh having the homecoming parade, so to speak, and being appreciated felt good.
1: So for for myself, we got back from OF one And our unit knew uh, almost immediately that we'd be going back in nine months. Third ID, when did
0: when did they find out that they would be heading back? Um, I think after I took about a week of leave when we got back, um, right when we (laughs) right when we got back into the office or back to the uh, back to the unit, so to speak. And uh, and then, man, we didn't know it at the time when we got back. But it was there wasn't ours was called OIF. But then when we got back, okay, that's OIF one. Then there's going to be a two and a three. And that's when this, um, uh, this acknowledgement of uh, a protracted and prolonged campaign started to really set hold. And then like, holy smokes, we're going to be on this rotation where we're going to go back. And then it's going to be every 18 months that you're going back. I mean, that was hard to understand and, uh, and to figure out and, and process for me.
1: So talk me through um, the career course and then talk me through uh, what happened after that.
0: Yeah. And so um, we get back and while the unit is training to go back again, there was kind of mixed emotions like, OK, well, we're going to school now while the unit's going back. And I, got, I didn't really feel good about that. Um, but that's what the trajectory we were on to help serve the army. And so we were given the opportunity to go to a career course. And that was kind of like a sabbatical, honestly, being in school again um, having some routines and being able to really recharge the batteries with the family. And that was like Chris and I's first time to really um, like be married, like when, when we are together. Um, and then being able to uh, be in an academic environment with other officers that experienced the same thing was, uh, I think, helps really propel you to your next and mentally propel you, propel you to your next assignment. And so, yeah, maybe the Army knows what they're doing to, like, uh, get get officers in the mindset where they can, like, literally recharge and mitigate burnout.
1: When when you
0: were there,
1: um, what was it like being one of the a, a small population at the career course that had combat experience?
0: There's a small number that had been to Afghanistan
1: and a small number that had been to Iraq. But at that point, um, the majority of the Army hadn't deployed
0: you 're right, and so uh, honestly, our instructors um, had, hadn 't been in combat um, were eager to go, um, just like uh, if you 've if you've watched the or read the book Alexander Hamilton by Shernow or the play, you know a lot of, a lot of us are young, scrappy, and hungry, right, having the sense of urgency to want it to rise above their station, and that 's kind of um, what we felt like before we, we wanted to go, but once you 're there i mean um, We were sharing those experiences now with our instructors and um, it it wasn't envy, but it was like, okay, now we're learning from each other. And I really thought that was a really good mindset. And um, when we would have some assignments and uh, we write our monologue, I I wrote the vignette about the, uh, the I called it a covert breach. Um, but, but doctrinally I got, that's the only points I got taken off on my monologues because it's not a covert breach. That's doctrinally not correct. A breach is a breach is a breach. It's not covert, <laughs> but I decided to take, have the points taken off and I still called the title covert breach. Um, <laughs> I accepted the fact that I was going to get deducted points for it, but, um, but yeah, sharing that experience with him uh, and talking about it, he was generally curious, like how it went. How the doctrines uh, laid out. What can we do differently, and uh, and then continuing to learn from what had happened, right? And uh, really had a really good relationship with our instructors. I think the
1: the one thing that I I appreciated the most, and like you talked about, is is those slower points. The army's really good about lessons learned and trying to adapt and to change um, based off of what we just experienced. And so you're not ruminating on mistakes. You're saying, let's, let's decrease the risk. Let's increase our opportunities. And so even if you're static, your mind isn't.
0: Um, yeah, and I, and I guess that becomes ingrained in you, right? I, I have no problem with saying I was wrong or I made a mistake or um, the, the humbleness that you learn and uh, the fact that you don't need to be right all the time and rely on others and be curious. I mean, that's, that's kind of like where I learned the mentality. I think that's a healthy approach. So, talk me through
1: um, leaving Fort Leonard Wood um, and and what you did next.
0: Um, again, super fortunate. Um, my company commander in at Fort Stewart was our branch career officer, and um, Kristen and I got an assignment um, to go to Portland, Oregon, um, to work for the Corps of Engineers. So, again, out of the uh, the mechanized unit, mixed feelings about that but now being able to um, really have a, a, an ability to uh, uh, be in a city environment outside of uh, a unit. Uh, again, I mean, uh, we're equivocating in our brain, oh, this is going to be a good opportunity. We'll we'll be in an organization with with civilians. We'll get to get some real-world experience, um, and maybe that can use that for our time after the Army. And, uh, man, that was a great assignment. Great part of the country. I'd never been there. And, yeah, and that's where our... Um, well, the deal was, so once we got uh, that, to that assignment, the deal was we had to deploy to Afghanistan. So um, two, three months after we got to Portland, Oregon, we, we went to Afghanistan. Um, but having that experience with the Corps of Engineers in the Northwest um, was awesome. We felt really fortunate. What was Afghanistan like? Um, it changed our life, just like Iraq did. Um, Uh, especially Kristen was really affected by the uh, extreme poverty. we had never seen poverty like that before. And again, our mission was with deploying with the Corps of Engineers, uh, win the hearts and minds, right? We were assigned to different construction projects to help build the infrastructure, win the hearts and minds, meeting new people, um, uh, working side by side with the the Afghan national uh, force and with a, I worked a lot with, um, Afghan construction, um, uh, firms getting established, um, awarding them contracts and then traveling to these places that weren't fully secure yet, but building facilities and infrastructure that would help support them. And we got invested in that mission. We met some people that were really happy that we were there, um, felt good about it. Um, and we really felt like we were making a difference. What was that like, um... Being there
1: temporarily, but seeing so invested in that country and the success of that country, I think it's something that we don't often.
0: Yes. Talk. Yeah. I kind of feel torn about that. Just being there in a, in a glimpse, right? I and mean, people have, uh, you're there to help them temporarily. You know, you're going to come back. But then, yeah, it's kind of like this disconnect, a little bit of a disconnection. You're there trying to do some good, um really getting invested, but then you come back and then there's a whole new set of people. And I think over time, there was maybe, I mean, looking, I'm looking back on it now with, um, with, uh, I guess what's the term, Monday morning quarterback eyes or in in retrospect, I'm looking back at it in retrospect, um, new people coming in wanting to do something and then those people leave, then a new set of people come. Having those relationships be sustained, um, I I can only speak from my experience, maybe people have other experiences that had been there, but that was, um, I I felt that that was a source of of, of frustration and having the uh, continuity was hard. Uh, from a relationship standpoint, but the mission continued. the mission was uh succinct and unified and these and I did hear that some of the projects that I started got completed um and uh but from a maintenance standpoint b- building facilities that would be maintained and operated later on, I think there was some issues with that but um i wasn't there to see it when I deployed in two thousand and twelve um that
1: was Uh, I just got a glimpse of the engineering projects that the U.S. Corps of Engineers had done um, from building out of scratch the the security facilities, the logistics facilities, and then helping to train the Afghans how to maintain them. Um, Just an incredible scope of work that uh, the team early on started and then
0: uh, attempted to complete. Yeah. Yeah. I guess keywords there attempted, and we did. I think make make headway. We did do uh, we did do some good. I mean, it was from a from a deployment standpoint. Um, we were living in the city, commuting to our jobs. Um, I got an opportunity to travel up way north to Tajikistan to build relationships with people. I mean, you're out there doing what the army had trained you to do, developing relationships with these with these folks and former officers of the USSR, the Russian army in Tajikistan, where we're gonna. The Navy's going to um, help build another port here in the Caspian Sea. I mean, uh, these, I mean, these are tremendous opportunities. And I'm like, what, 26, seven years old, um, having this, uh, you get some really good experience in a short amount of time on these. deployments.
1: Talk me through coming back from Afghanistan and, and leaving, um, really that, that civil engineering framework that you
0: were doing there and coming back to the United States, um, yeah, so again, we come back with this experience to uh, back to Portland, Oregon. Um, again, talking to our our there's in a in a in a Corps of Engineers unit. There's basically some junior officers like Kristen and I, and then the commander, a colonel or a lieutenant colonel. And this happened to be uh, a colonel. Um, really developed a good relationship with him. Um, he was curious about how it went and how things are going. And he ended up being the Afghanistan district engineer. Um, a couple of years later, I didn't know that at the time, but he hadn't been deployed yet. And so he was really picking our brain on how our second deployment went and what was happening and how we we're going to use some of the lessons learned again um, in his unit. And so he gave us some really unique um, assignments based on our experience there and really got to then um, utilize those while we were there with the civilian staff, which... Um, they felt very much an appreciative of and, and and fortunately just like talking about it, it inspired some other of this other civilians that were there to then deploy themselves, knowing what the experience was like, hearing it from us firsthand. So again, we come back and we feel like we're making a difference in furthering that mission, even though we're back stateside. So that was that was interesting.
1: Now, at this point, you and Kristen have both met your service obligation um after uh West Point. Talk me through the
0: decision to continue to serve or to transition out. Um, yeah, this is a good timing for this question, because I, I guess there's like some periods in our lives that like are really um, um, game changers. Um, <clears throat> our initial deployment to Iraq and our experience there continue to shape us. Coming back, family, what, it, what it's like to build a family, missing family. And then, um, yeah, our, our first son is born um, <laughs> nine months after we get back from Afghanistan. And holy smokes, was that a game changer, right? So you're holding this human in your hands that you're now responsible for. It was like it just like makes a chemical difference, like in your body. You're like immediately like wrapped and know what love stands for, right? You understand, like man, I would die for this kid. And um, having that connection with a with it, with your partner, with your wife, now responsible for a new kid, it just changes everything. And so. Um, having an opportunity to have like a a job that you commute to working with people, um, taking a son to daycare, starting a family. Um, And then we knew on the horizon, there was uh, uh, enough. We're at the end of our service obligation. And, and like, we know if when we PCS um, holy smokes, we, okay, we're going to, no matter where we go, we're going to deploy for 18 months because that's what was happening all over the army. And man, we didn't know how we felt about that. So we had to process that for months. Um, but it came pretty clear after we continued to look at at, at our firstborn son, um, we would probably have to deploy at the same time and then leave him with a family member. And there was just no way. There was just no way she wanted to do that. There was no way I wanted to do that. So, I mean, it was a hard decision to ETS instead of PTS, but... Um, Uh, But yeah, we we get out and it was hard, really more emotional for me than for Kristen. But um, on July 4th was my last uh, last day in uniform. And then, yeah, we we moved back to Philadelphia where Kristen's close to her family. And we just really began to start our family and like recharge our our batteries from a pretty emotional and high tempo first six years (laughs) of our marriage transitioning to the civilian world
1: um there's there's two parts one part is you have a a taste of civilian engineering um you have the degrees and the experience um but trying to apply to a job um being a combat engineer originally in the army doesn't hold the same weight when you walk into a civilian engineering firm what was that like uh trying to move into engineering on the civilian side
0: um yeah, so that's a that's a good question. Thanks for that prompt. Uh, you know, coming out of the uh, uh, out of the army, I guess you have some skills, but we kind of felt like we were a jack of all. Tra- I kind of felt like I was a jack of all trades and master of none. But fortunately, um, there was some like a small engineering firm that believed in us, and there was a Coast Guard grad that was a a, a partial owner of this engineering firm. And uh, yeah, we get we get hired pretty quickly. Um, and Kristen and I worked for the same company, a really small company, and. Yeah, we 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 start having eight hour days. It's amazing. (laughs) Um, Feels easy. Um, And for three years, um, we have this life where we're walking our son to daycare and then we chose. I mean, we're all about logistics and efficiency, both Kristen and I. So we find this house that's across the street from the daycare and then across the street from where we work. And so for a year or two, we're we're walking Aiden uh, across the street to daycare and then we'd walk to work oh man i mean uh what a way to recharge your batteries and then and i I, and then i guess um from a a job perspective um you have these skills that are translatable from a problem-solving perspective and you you know how to learn but yeah we had to learn what we did and to be effective and to be useful so it took a couple months to understand to be effective to be to help move the needle in the office but we finally do And then I'm given the opportunity to I kind of know that I'm a jack of all trades and master of none again. So I don't don't really specialize in anything. And you have to specialize in something to be to be sought after as a PM or in in the engineering world. So I get my PE, my professional engineering license. Um, I learn scheduling. I learn more about project management. I become an expert in construction scheduling. Um, And yeah, and so we're given that opportunity to really like focus in on a skill like a a, a trade. to have something that, uh, uh, that, that people could rely and hire you for, so to speak. Scope and tempo. And you talk about it to a
1: degree. Um, what was it like when the scope went down when you transitioned to the civilian world and the tempo went down?
0: Yeah. I, 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 yeah, You're getting at it too. Um, I, I not know if it's in our blood or like, uh, But about it right about that three three year mark we start getting a little itchy right um start start getting a little too comfortable i we don't think we're um I, i i don't think we actually said it but like um well we need to do more um and um our second son was born um in philly so now we we're carrying around two folks um but we have this even though that's happening and um, our life is are, is continuing. We have this desire to do something different, so we start looking around, and um, there's this opportunity where a data center is being built in Utah. And then, man, it happened fast—like two or three weeks. Yep, let's do it. I I remember it clearly. the The job solicitation for the Corps of Engineers for these for these um, PMS in Utah it was closing that night, and I had like four hours to get everything in. And it wasn't working out, and Kristen was about to give up. I said, No, this, we, we just got her because she lost her whole resume after we put it into the system and it didn't work. And we couldn't get back in. But anyway, I said, No, let's just keep trying. And so I, I actually got it to work. We got our, our, uh, our resumes and our interview pack or our job application packet in, in time. And then, yeah, uh, three days later, we get an interview day later we get hired and they say hey, do you want to come out to utah and so yeah within two weeks we are in utah um working um to build this huge facility
1: so what was that move um like and then picking up and starting for the first time with with kids
0: um yeah it's refreshing right, right? traveling across the country i went swimming in the mississippi on the way out there um i went out there first that was the advanced party i mean we know how to plan a movement so we I went out there to get the house, to find a house, to get the house ready. And then Kristen was going to come out with the two kids. And so, I mean, that worked. And we started our job and it was exciting. And that was, a, I mean, that was probably the best thing we could have done at the time because it kind of rejuvenated the energy. And we are back in government service, being able to do what we feel like we've been trained to do, I think. I mean, we didn't actually say it. But I mean, that, that's the way I interpret it anyway. Um, and uh, just feeling good and contributing again to the mission. Um, And uh, we meet some amazing people, meet some, go to the most, oh my goodness. I mean, I've never been in the West and seen like what the West has to offer. I mean, it just like leaked into our soul. And it was good timing for what what Kristen and I were were going through at the time and really kind of rejuvenated our marriage and our connection um, with church again. I mean, we met some people out there and started going to church. Kristen got baptized while we were out there. And I'm like, oh, and I, we just really started to under, like really started to explore and be connected with something bigger than ourselves again. And so that part of our life was, again, a game changer.
1: Talk me through after, after that, that construction opportunity in Utah um, and, and getting the taste of, of public service or service to a larger ideal again, how did that influence um, steps?
0: Uh, yeah, so it, it had everything to do with influencing the next steps, um, being uh, a part of a, a construction project that was moving the needle, and then and then people and engaging with people that really felt like you were doing a good job, and that you were that you were competent and uh, helping, and we got acknowledged for it. I mean, it's just it's just nice being around people that um, support each other, and then we see the efforts, um, we see like the project moving forward, and I mean. It, it is a massive amount of work that we're putting in place. I mean, there's issues, but we solve them. Uh, there's relationship issues, but we, Chris and I, try to manage to use some of our, I don't know what they are, skills or influence to to move the needle, to move the project forward. And then, yeah, we're just doing stuff. And and then we get this opportunity to go to California. Um, once the, the project in Utah was complete as far as, as our involvement, we got the opportunity, Kristen actually is the one that got uh, picked up and promoted and um, so we go out to to sacramento utah uh, sacramento california folsom california where you know the folsom prison is yep um, and our offices are actually on prison grounds and we're building a dam um, just like in the fdr days a big control structure with a mile-long spillway i mean this is heavy civil engineer dream type stuff to work on and we're doing it and uh, working with amazing people do uh, doing that
1: how did you transition from what you're doing with construction in California to
0: what you're doing now? Um, yeah. So when we were out in Utah, we um, started working for a client uh, uh, that was involved in the nation's security and uh, we felt good about that. Um, and they're amazing people, very competent, highly skilled, and um, we developed some good relationships uh, uh, with um, with that facet and never experienced that facet of the, uh, the nation's intelligence engine. Um, but building those facilities, um, uh, it felt like we were, we were making a difference. And, um, our third son is born in California. And then, um, Kristen feels eventually uh, that we need to move back to the East coast. And, um, that's where the, uh, the, the headquarters is for this, for this client. And so, um, Uh, we know we have some relationships again. Um, they felt like we did an okay job, I guess. And so they're instrumental in getting us back, um, to have a job, um, over on the East coast. And Kristen's closer to her family. Um, uh, being out in California for such a long time, it was difficult for them to travel and she just felt a little bit disconnected and I, I I agreed. And so that's like a really important to us. And so we came back and, um, yeah, we, we settled here and man, you know how the life is in the army where you're up and moving every three years, um, or you get the itch to move every three years, but this is the longest we've been anywhere. (laughs) And, um, and it did feel weird after three years, but it doesn't feel weird anymore. So
1: at, at the end of this journey of getting accepted, uh, delayed, uh, accepted to West point, um, experiencing combat in two different countries, um, and being able to build things that last,
0: what are the key takeaways you've had? Build things that last. I think the uh, the biggest thing that continue to build, and there's no instruction manual for it, is just continuing to build relationships um, with folks, knowing how at the end of the day, after all the technical stuff is, is calculated and, and projects going to move forward, um, it's going to move forward with or without you, right? But what does last is the relationships that you build with folks and um, how that connection keeps us Moving forward, and so I mean, we met some amazing people along the way. Keep in touch with our classmates, um, and, and enjoy watching our kids move around, and and then being really connected to the community here. Now, this is the first time we've really been um, connected to a community, um, being able to invest our time. I mean, I don't know. Again, I'm I'm making another Hamilton um, uh, reference or metaphor, but um, he all they, he. In the play, he always talks about why do you write like you're running out of time? He's nonstop. I mean, that's where my brain works, right? And so I, my outlet is serving the community. Um, I spend a lot of time at the local baseball fields, getting the fields in better shape. I enjoy doing that. I enjoy serving. Um, and um, even when I came back, I, I, uh, I got involved into, into sports ministry for a while. Um, giving back from that perspective, helping, helping coaches fulfill their, be the best versions of themselves while I was still trying to figure out what mine is. Um, and then really trying to, um, now coach our three boys being the best version of themselves, which is hard, right? Because they keep growing and changing and and there's no instruction manual for it. And and that's hard. (laughs) Um, and I learn something new every day when, when we, when we are going through that. Um, and it's,
1: and and as you know, it's not easy. And as we wrap up, um, again, thank you very much for sharing your
0: story today.
1: Is there anything you'd like to say to the class?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I love our class, you know, every one of them. I think we have a a deep connection on service understanding anyway, and being able to, um, connect with them on occasion, even though we, we don't talk a lot, um, having that shared experience. has, um, was, I think I counted maybe four game changers in the last hour and a half, and that was one of them. And, um, being in an environment with the roommates that I've had, like Kevin and Brad and John Gilmore, and even some that have passed, um, man, it's, uh, it changes you and it, um, <clears throat> makes you who you are today. And so I'm, I'm who I am because of the example that, you and and others have made i mean you're in an environment where people just like generally care for you and then you just want to continue giving that to others and so so yeah so it's thanks and um, i love you
1: i love you too man appreciate it till duty is done yeah indeed thank you for listening to through the gray if you like this episode Please share with your friends and follow the podcast. We want these stories to be shared with as many people as possible.